The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Ecclesia, will you join with me in a prayer? Lord God, we thank you, and we join with the psalmist declaring that you are good. We look around us. We look around at the babies in the room. We look around at brothers and sisters who extend love and grace to us when times get hard. We're reminded of the water that nourishes the ground, the sunrises and the sunsets, and Lord, so much that you've given us, so much beauty that surrounds us. And we ask today that as we take a unique time in the course of our week, a time that we can pause, that we can rest, that we could listen, that we could open the scriptures, we pray, God, that you would speak to us, that you'd help us redefine in some ways what our relationship with you is supposed to look like today. We pray you give us an accurate assessment of where we are and where you long for us to be. We pray all of this together as a family. We pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia on the west side. It is... uh, It's a gift uh, to be with you. I've been, uh, as you heard a few weeks ago, in the Holy Land with a great group of uh, Ecclesians, and now I'm entering into uh, what's kind of a new rhythm. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Um, uh, What's kind of a new rhythm in my schedule, uh, where I get to preach at Elder one weekend, and then now that we have two services here, I get to be with you the next weekend, which means if you were at Elder last weekend, you get to hear the same sermon again. So congratulations. If it was bad the first time, it's really got to be bad the second time. So, um, and if it's good the second time, it's probably not as good the first. I don't know how it works. It's somewhere in there. Um, I got a question I'd love for you to just start us off with that I think if you could, uh, could identify a place in your story um, that will resonate with the message God has for us today, I think it's going to help you. So this is the question I got for you. It's twofold. If you can think back in your story to a time and place that you felt um, especially loved, that you knew there were people around you that really loved you, and you knew there were people around you that knew that you loved them, that you were loving others well and you were being loved well. If you, if you remember a time in your story that it felt like that, that you felt loved and you knew you were loving other people really well. And then, in contrast, would you think to a time in your story where you're in a relationship that you wanted to have um, more intimacy, you wanted to be a closer relationship, and at some point there was a conversation or there was a moment and it became clear that what you wanted was not what this other person wanted as well. Maybe you were in college and you, um, you thought you were dating someone and the, they said they had been on a series of dates with you, right? It's different to go on a f- I've been on a few dates with him, right? It's different than dating, right? And at some point you realize like, we're not on the same, I would love for this to go deeper, but it's not. Maybe it was a neighbor, a conversation with a neighbor and you opened up a bit and they did something to say really clearly like, no, we're neighbors. We're not venturing into that place. Or maybe even more painfully, maybe you're a parent and you made a mistake and you got a kid that's just, they're like, you can be my dad, but you're gonna be my dad from there. Like, we're, we're not getting closer than this. This is it. And they've chosen just not to forgive and not to move closer, maybe even within a marriage. Maybe it's a spouse and you just, 
you find like we're, we're not moving towards the intimacy that I would desire, and it becomes clear like this, your partner just is not interested in that place. If you can think to a time in your story that you hit that crossroads, it's gonna help you understand and visualize the message that God has for us today. And while you're kind of ruminating on those places in your story, could I take a moment and just give you a quick um, like Ecclesia business update? Uh, many of you know that uh, over this year and last year, we've taken some focused efforts. We had a few weekends that we devoted all the offerings. Uh, both last year and this year, we've had some special donations come in. We've been able to pull from the general fund, and we wanted to focus on our debt. And uh, about 10 days ago, we got a great piece of mail, registered mail. You got to sign it and verify. And it was a release of lien from our final uh, debt on Elder that we are now debt-free as a church. And we think that's a pretty amazing gift to be at the place that we are. Um, And what, what that means is that enables us to focus all the, the resources that we have to the ministry God's called us to in this city and across the globe. And um, debt sometimes is necessary. Probably a lot of you have a mortgage, and, uh, and that's not that's always a bad thing. But if you can pay off that mortgage, it's a great thing, right? And so we really feel like God's put us in a beautiful place as a church to be able to do the things we were called to do. And some of that's going to involve renovations here at this campus and all the things that God's called us to do missionally that are really exciting. So... Being the church that we are, if we have something to celebrate, we kind of only know one way to do it. And when we have one, uh, something really great happen in the life of our church, um, we throw a dance party. That's what we do. Um, it's what we've been known for. Uh, not a lot of churches are known for their dance parties, but Ecclesia is. And so uh, we've thrown some really great ones through the years. And so to celebrate being debt-free, uh, later this year, we're going to throw a massive dance party. And our staff is already overworked on the real ministry side of life. Not that dance parties aren't a ministry, um, but uh, they're doing a lot of work. And if you would like to be on the dance party committee, um, you can email me. This is a serious request, chris at ecclesiahouston.org, and we will put you to work. And we may, um, we're exploring how that dance party could maybe raise uh, money for some of our partners, uh, nonprofits that also have debt, and maybe we could help pay off their debt. We think that would be a really fun thing to go to another organization that's doing good work and has some debt, and we go, hey, we threw a party and we helped pay down your debt because we don't have any anymore, and uh, we thought that would be kind of a cool way uh, to do it. So, and, and largely because, um, most of you know this, in your heart, in your mind, your body, your story, there's something about great music, right, that just can take you to a place. Um, and sometimes, right, you just got to celebrate. Um, that's one of the reasons, right, uh, that God probably led you to Ecclesia. You're like, the preaching sucks, but the band is awesome. Like, <laughs> these guys, um, because music has this ability, right, to, to lead us to a different place. And, um, and it, it's... Um, it's the closest sometimes, I think, that we're going to get to heaven uh, on this side. Uh, when we, if you've been to a great concert, uh, you've really experienced beautiful, beautiful music, um, which it leads me to one of the things I love to do uh, on our trip to the Holy Land. So many of you know, um, I just got back uh, from the Holy Land. I took this beautiful group of Ecclesians. I come back energized because when you're a preacher and your job's to teach the Bible, right, to be in the land of the Bible is pretty awesome. And then to be with people that you love is just great. And so we eat great food. We see holy sites. We just, we have an amazing time together. You come back with all these new best friends. And then one of my favorite things to do is 
um, to engage what would be my career if I wasn't a pastor, and I get to be on the bus, uh, I get to be the DJ. So I get to spend my time. We spend a decent amount and a few days of our travel <coughs> on this bus, and, uh, and I get to plug in my phone. To be a DJ is not an easy job, right? You gotta, you gotta find, you gotta read the room, or the bus in my case, you gotta find the mood where people are, and then you get to take them someplace, right? So we go all over the map. Uh, we get uh, people singing, right? Great country. David Allen Coe always gets Ecclesians uh, singing. We had a great moment with our friends Charles and Ashley. They got married in Cana on this trip, which is a pretty cool place to get married. It's where Jesus did his first miracle, so it's, it's not a bad place. Uh, for a wedding. And uh, then we got them on the bus for their first dance. We had some kind of great Latin rock bachata, and they tore it up on, uh, on the bus. We, uh, we had moments, some of the people in the group are here, and they're going to be mad at me, but this is what it sounds like when we do the greatest uh, karaoke song of all time on the bus. You know this song. You can sing along. You can do it. Come on. Caroline. So good. All right, you guys nailed it. I just like putting things on the list of things you never thought you would do at church. And um, we just continue to check them off uh, at Ecclesia. There are certain songs, right? When you hear them, uh, they take you to a different place. I, um, as I was preparing for this sermon, I uh, a certain song came to the forefront for me as I thought about what I wanted you to capture uh, from it. It's a song that you probably know. Even just the first few chords when they come together. If you've ever been in that place we talked about where you wanted a relationship to go further and somebody didn't, this may have been the song that you shed a lot of tears to. It's sung by um, Bonnie Raitt. She has that big, beautiful, sultry voice. And the lyrics, every one of them seems to pierce. But for me, it's the final phrase of the first verse where she says, lay down beside me, don't lie to me. And don't patronize. You know this song. Because I can't make you love me. I can't make your heart feel something it won't. And deep in the dark, in these final hours, I will lay down my heart, cause I feel the power, but you don't. No, you won't, cause I can't make you love me. If you're like me and you've ever been in that place, maybe with a kid, maybe with somebody that you loved and you say, I, I could give you the world, I could do anything, then you probably get at least a glimpse of what I believe the God of the Bible feels and the place that he stands and the dominant image we've really been given in Scripture. Ecclesia, my fear is that many of us have adopted this kind of Leonardo da Vinci view of God, this massive cathedral, 
God that's looking down, right? Powerful creator. And he, he is all of that, but this is what I'm afraid we miss, is that the God of the Bible is this heart-sick God. He's the God that in the garden created paradise for those that he loved, Adam and Eve, man and woman, and he created paradise, and he said, this is the place where we're going to be in relationship together. And it tells us in the garden that God walked with those that he made, that he loved them. And what we find at the end of that story is a God who was betrayed. And it says that he wandered the garden alone, heartsick, saying, I, I could give you everything. I'd give you everything you need and more, but I can't make you love me. He's the God and the prodigal son and the story of the prodigal son. He's the father. And all the son wants in a relationship is a transactional relationship. Will you give me the stuff I want? And he's the father who waits and waits and waits and waits. And he's heartsick and he loves his son. And he'll wait as long as it takes because all he wants is a relationship with his son. He's the shepherd who tells us he would leave all the rest of the sheep to go find the one because he loves every one of his sheep. In Revelation 3, I believe we've been given the most dominant image for what God looks like in the scripture as he approaches us. And in Revelation 3, this is what it says. He looks at the people. This is a vision that John had. And he, he has a vision of what Jesus would say in many unique scenarios. And this is particularly what he says to the church in a region called Laodicea. He looks at this church and he says this. He says, I know your works. Right? This is really helpful as he starts. Because he's saying, like, I'm not guessing what you're doing. I'm not trying to assume your motivations. I'm just going to tell you what I've seen that you've done, this is a very Houstonian kind of quality, right? We, around here in Houston, this is part of what I love about this city, we judge people based on what they do, right? So you can be from Atlanta, and if you're from Atlanta, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm from Houston. So um, if you're from Atlanta, right, if you, you come from like old money or something in the South, like that really matters, and what family you come from, nobody cares about that here. They care about what you do. If you do something, people respect you. And this is what I love about this passage. Jesus is looking at the church and he's saying, I don't care what family you came from, like none of that matters. This is what I, I'm just telling you, based on what you've done, this is my assessment of you. And that's what he says. You're neither cold with apathy or hot with passion. It would be better if you were one or the other, but you're neither so because you're lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot, right? What's Jesus saying? Like he wants his church like I want my coffee, either cold or hot. Ice it or make sure it's hot. Lukewarm coffee, I want nothing to do with, right? Anybody here like lukewarm coffee? Okay, there was somebody in another, somebody does. It totally blows my theory. If you can just let me stick with my thesis, okay? Because I don't understand. I carry this thing around to make sure it stays hot. Every time I talk about it, I have to drink it because it makes me thirsty just thinking about that my coffee is there, right? However you like yours, I can't imagine liking lukewarm coffee, but maybe you do. Jesus says this. He says, could you just be cold or be hot? But this middle ground, he says, it makes me want to vomit you out of my mouth. What's he saying? He's saying, either you're with me and you're in intimate relationship with me or you don't care about me. Same thing we're talking about relationally. But if you kind of like, I'm just going to kind of be there. So it doesn't, 
I'm just going to do the religious polite thing. I'm going to do the bare necessities. And God's going, you know what? I'm, I got no interest in that. He says, you claim I'm rich. I've accumulated riches and I need nothing. What's he saying? He's saying, you've got a transactional relationship with me. When you need something, you come to me. But right now, you're like, I've pretty much got my things covered here. I've got what I need. I don't need anything, right? Until the next hurricane comes around, then we'll all be getting God on speed dial again. But until then, like, I'll manage. He says, but you don't know. You don't realize that you're miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. What's he saying? He's saying, you don't even realize the things you need most aren't things you can buy. You think you have it covered, but the things you really need are me. If you're going to thrive in this world, if you're going to be the person you're made to be, you need me. And the things you can buy, they don't mean anything. What you really need is me. So he says this, now pay attention. What's Jesus' posture in all this? It's beautiful. This is what Jesus says. I'm Jesus, and I'm standing at the door, right? Just knocking. I'll just knock. I'll be here knocking. Now, this is, you know, you hear this in Revelation. It sounds a bit ridiculous, right? You're like, he's knocking on the door of the church. Like, the church has his name on it, right? I mean, if anybody owns the church, it ought to be Jesus, right? And he can't come in, or he won't come in. It's a bit like uh, being a parent, right? And you hit a stage in your own home where you finally have to give domain to your teenage kids, and their room is their room, right? And you pay the bills and the Wi-Fi that goes into it and everything that makes that room a reality. You own the deed to the property, but when you go to their room, what do you do? You just knock and you wait and you hope maybe to be invited in, right? If you're a kid, just so you know, like as a parent, like the only thing we really want is if you just go, hey, would you, like the best thing we ever hear is like, hey, Dad, could, could, you, could you give me some advice on, or I'm struggling with this, right? But what do we want? We want to be invited in. And Jesus said, I own it. It's my church, but I'm not coming in if you don't want me. I can't make you love me. I can give you everything. I can take away what you have. I can do whatever I want to do, but I cannot make you love me. And ultimately, all I want is for you to love me. So he puts it this way. He says, listen, I stand at the door and knock, and if I come in, like many of us, we grew up, right? Um, maybe, maybe you were like me, and you grew up with a sense of, uh, like my version of Christianity. I grew up Baptist. If you grew up in different traditions, they were slightly different. But it was basically like a religious checklist. Like for me as a Baptist, my, like the way we would articulate it growing up, uh, it was the, the basics were uh, you don't dip, drink, or chew, or kiss girls who do, right? That was the basics. And if you, if you could stick to that and not dip, drink, or chew, or kiss girls who do, and then you'd read, read your Bible a little bit, you'd check it on the Sunday school envelope, and, um, and then when you really did something bad, uh, you'd confess it. Like, that was basically it. And you went, okay, I could, I, that's what, that you just, and God will give me what I want, and I'll do my thing. And if you were Episcopalian or Lutheran, it was maybe slightly different. But everybody had a little system, and we'd just kind of work God, and we'd go, hey, this is the deal. What's God saying here in Revelation 3? Like, that's not, I'm not interested in that. I want all of you or none of you. 
Either you're in or you're not in, but I want to be in relationship with you. And my understanding was if God ever came in and caught me doing whatever I was doing, it was going to be a beatdown, right? He's knocking at the door because he's like, you're an idiot and you got it wrong again, right? But Revelation 3 tells us something radically different. He says, if any of you hear my voice and you open the door, then I'll come in and beat you down. No, no. He says, I'll come in to visit with you and share a meal at your table and you will be with me. What's God saying? I just, I just want you to talk to me. I just want to be in relationship with you. That's all I'm asking for is you. I don't need you to keep all these rules or be in this system. Would you just commune with me? And so ultimately, Ecclesia, that's our invitation. Now, I was in the midst of preparing this sermon. And really, the invitation in large is to say, will you talk to God? Will you tell God what you feel? Will you, as Moses did, this is what it tells us in Exodus 33. If we're going to experience an exodus as we've been studying in this series, what do we have to do? Well, the way God shaped Moses was that he developed such a relationship with Moses that in Exodus 33, it tells us that the eternal spoke to Moses face to face, just as a friend speaks to another friend. Now, ultimately, this is what God wants for us. This is what he desires, is that you would talk to God the way you talk to a friend, that you tell him how you feel and how you struggle and where you're at, and that you'd celebrate with him and that you'd be in relationship with him. And in the midst of preparing that sermon, I came back from the Holy Land uh, to one of those places. That this is the truth, like reality of life was going to invite you into an opportunity, either to be in that kind of relationship with God or not be in that kind of relationship with God. And when I got back from this trip, I got the really challenging news uh, about one of our staff members. In fact, just here's a photo from a recent Easter service where we're um, baptizing. And the, this, this is a perfect example of what uh, Ecclesia is about in so many ways, is we're getting to experience this beautiful moment, Stephen Hicks and I, have a beautiful calling, the ways that we get to serve the Lord. Uh, often what happens in these moments, um, almost all of these beautiful moments, um, my sister Elizabeth Cook is usually off in the corner just like she is in this photo. Um, almost any beautiful thing that happens around this church has been made possible because Elizabeth works really hard. And she, sh she showed up at the very first service for Ecclesia almost 19 years ago, has volunteered, has done everything. She serves as really chief of staff at Ecclesia. She's my boss uh, in many ways, and, um, and she just works tirelessly. And uh, I came back from this trip. She is beloved by my family and by our church, and if you love Ecclesia, you ought to be really grateful for her. And we came back to some hard news that, uh, that Elizabeth has been diagnosed with a stage three breast cancer. It's... Uh, it's a challenging cancer. It's just, it's in a few places already. And um, we're just praying. This is Elizabeth's family. And, um, and I want to invite you to pray for them. And I, and I got to tell you, oh, this is Addison. Addison is 17. Uh, Zane turned uh, seven on Friday. And uh, True is about one and a half. I think of him as a two-year-old, but he's not quite two. And uh, Elizabeth is 44, which is too young to have stage three breast cancer. It's just too young. And David is much older than you think he is. Um, he's got like a 30-year-old energy, but he's really, he's not here, so I'll just tell you, I think he's like 55 or something. He just comes across as a 30-year-old, but he's just totally not. And it's part of what I love about him. And this is what I want to ask you to do is to pray for them. And I want to tell you, like, what happens in life is God instantly gives you some opportunities. And me and God aren't on the same page with this one, right? And I just get to tell God, like, this isn't right, God. And I really need you to heal her, and this is, but this is what a relationship with God ought to look like. 
that we get to commune. And you know what? Nothing I say is going to get God upset or angry at me. And uh, in fact, all it does is I get to commune with God is I get to grow closer and closer to the Creator who knows me and loves me. And often I end up in conversations with people, Ecclesians and otherwise, and I try to describe to them what Christianity really is, that it's this kind of relationship. And people often look back at me and just go, that's just not, that's not true. The Bible's just filled with rules. It's a lot of rules, and you're supposed to keep the rules, and that's what it's about. And I have to tell them, like, I, like the reality is you just haven't read the Bible. And they'll go, well, what about, like, the Ten Commandments? Those are what? A bunch of rules, right? That's what people, they're a bunch of what? Rules, that's what people think they are. And then I'll invite you to actually read them, which has been totally depressing over the course of the preaching this sermon, because I found out quickly, Ecclesians don't know the Ten Commandments. So I'm sure the 11 o'clock on the west side is gonna be much better. So I'll ask you first, what's the first commandment? Some of you got it, and some of you, but most services people have said the great commandment. Uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is close. It's similar to the first commandment. Have no other gods. A few of you said it. I'm proud. We're, on, we're starting on a good. Some of the other services, we just stared at each other for a while. Right? <laughs> first commandment, right? God just says, hey, listen, this is my commandment. This is the big rule. I made everything. I'm God. Would you please not have other gods? Just no other gods. Like, seems pretty reasonable, doesn't it? I'm God, you're not God, could you not have other gods? Really good place to start, right? And the second one? No idols, right? He says, would you just not worship stuff? He says, this is gonna be the, I'm God, and I made everything, would you not worship the things that are made? Would you have no other idols? And we look at the story and we're like, yeah, those guys are ridiculous. They made a cow and they worshiped it. Like, who would worship things? <laughs> now we drive them, we live in them. But we have made an art out of worshiping things, right? First two commandments, would, would you have no other gods? And would you please not worship the things that I made? Right? Not too hard so far. What's the third one, you remember? Don't take his name in vain. We're doing so much better in this service. I'm telling you, I'm so proud of Ecclesia 11 o'clock. I'm only going to preach this service from now on. <laughs> he says, listen, for Hebrews, names are really important. He says, I'm a God who will allow you to know my name. And for Hebrews, that meant that we're going to have, what, an intimate relationship. You're going to know my intimate name. Hebrew people wouldn't even say it. We read it in the Hebrew scriptures, and the Hebrew letters are yud Hey, vav Hey, right? We would say Yahweh. Hebrew brothers and sisters wouldn't even begin to say. They would say, you couldn't utter the name of God. You say, it's so sacred. And knowing the intimate name, right, for us this is hard to imagine because we put our name on everything, but it's like if somebody knows your full name. Not everybody here probably knows your full name, maybe just a few people, right? But if I'm walking down the street and I hear somebody scream, James Christopher C., right, I think my mom's there and I'm in trouble, right? <laughs> Anybody else, like you hear your full name? That's what it sounds, because no, people don't know your full name. Third, third commandment, he says, this is my name. Would you use it respectfully? If we're going to be in an intimate relationship, would you please use my name respectfully and reverently and not in vain? Right? Fourth commandment, we're on a roll. 
Good. Some of you are on your phone, I can tell, but we're, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. You can cheat. It doesn't matter. Sabbath, right? What's he saying? Would you please spend time with me? Would you take a day and let it be for us to have a day? I made you. Now, what do you think so far? We're not going through all the Ten Commandments today. What do you think so far? A bunch of rules. Man, God is just all these rules, and it's so hard. It's not what it sounds like to me. First four commandments, what does it sound like? This is a God who wants what? What kind of relationship? An intimate relationship. And all of a sudden, you begin to go, like, actually, if you read the Bible, you've got this God that's saying, I love you. I send my son for you. Everything in the Bible is screaming a God who wants relationship with those that he made. And what, what do we want to do? We want to turn it into a set of rules, because then we can check it off. And then what do we become? Lukewarm people in the middle. And ultimately, God's going, don't, don't play the game. Either love me and know me and walk with me, or don't but don't try to do the thing in between. And Ecclesia, this is what I want you to hear. That's what God made you for. And here's the good news. Like, he takes you as you are. He'd have to for all of us, right? Because that's just where we are. But he loves you just as you are. And if we just begin to walk with God, God begins to shape us. His love begins to change us. But we don't have to become a different kind of people. And that ultimately is really, really good news, right? So much so, right, that we see in the Bible that in this exodus, when God leans in to free his people, right, his people have been in trouble, and you've got periods in your time and story that you've been in trouble, 200 years God's people spent in slavery. So imagine, if God's going to spring his people from slavery, it's hard for us to relate, uh, but if you've spent, I used to, in the early years of Ecclesia, actually took some surveys and just asked people, how many of you have spent a night in jail? It was depressing to find out how many Ecclesians have been to jail. So I'm not doing it because the kids don't need to know. I know where most of you have been, wink, wink, right? So I'm just saying, if you even spent one night in jail, which I'm clear that most of you have at this point, um, if you've even spent one night in jail and you get sprung loose, right? Like, the, the amount of gratitude that you have is significant, right? Somebody could ask you to do anything. they get you out of jail. Imagine, God's people are in bondage. They're in slavery for 200 years. God frees them, and he can ask them to do anything. They're in a place they've been making bricks for Pharaoh for 200 years, having their children killed without any power any representation, any independence, any freedom. He frees them and tells them he sent them to the promised land, and he could ask them to do anything, right? I mean, anything at that point, you would have the gratitude to do anything. And what does he ask them to do? He asks them to throw a barbecue. He says, hey, listen, I freed you. This is what I'd like you to do. Exodus 12, this is what he says. He says, that night, this is what I want you to do. Have them roast the lamb over a fire, and feast on it along with bitter herbs. He says, we're going to eat together. You're going to put this over the, the blood over the doorpost. You're going to celebrate what I've done, and we're going to feast. We're going to get one lamb for every family. If you've got a small family, invite some neighbors. But eat all the lamb, he says. 
He says, with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. He says, do not eat any meat raw or boil it in water, right? And instantly we read it and start, see, the, there goes God. He's just making all these rules again, right? More rules. Do it this way. Do it my way, right? Why does God say to do it this way? It's, that's the way to eat meat, right? How many of you have been to a boiled meat restaurant and you loved it, right? <laughs> Anybody like, I cannot wait till that raw and boiled meat restaurant opens up, right? No, nobody. No reviews on Yelp for boiled meat, right? Why does he want you to, he says, roast it over fire. That's the way it's good. He says, if we're going to have a barbecue, it ought to be good. And I don't want anybody eating boiled meat or raw meat because it won't be a very good party. Ultimately, same thing he wanted in Revelation 3. He says, I'll spring you from slavery. After 200 years, he could ask you to do anything, and what does he want? He says, could we eat together? Could we be together? Could we once again be in relationship with each other? Because for 200 years, you've only been listening to Pharaoh, and you haven't paid any attention to me. He said, I just want your heart. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to know me and to walk with me. And so, Ecclesia, what should we do? And I'll conclude with that. I want to give you three things. If we're going to be in a relationship with God, my suggestion to you is that it's just like any other relationship. What do I want in a relationship? I, I want somebody that's going to spend time with me, right? If you're my friend and you go, yeah, I can meet you, you know, three weeks from now for a drink, but I only got 12 minutes, right? Like, we're not getting anywhere, Right? Because my friends will tell you, like, it takes 45 minutes for I really get to having fun. Like, we got we to gotta have time. If we're going to be friends, we got to have time. If you're going to be in a good relationship, you have time, what else do you want? You want authenticity. Anybody want a friend that's fake? No. You want a friend that is who they really are when they're with you, right? And you can't be that way with everybody in the world, but when you've got a real friend, there is nothing fake about your time together. You don't have to lie about anything, right? You got real friends. You don't even have to shower that often with real friends, right? I mean, I suggest it, I recommend it, but if you don't, they're still gonna be your friends, right? You can be who you are with real friends. And what else do I want in a friendship? I wanna have fun together, right? If you don't laugh, if, if every meeting, we, every time we get together is a business meeting, that doesn't feel like a friendship to me, right? Because I need to laugh. Maybe it's just because I'm a pastor. I need, I need to laugh. I need to have fun. What does God want? I think God wants the same things. So a few things as we go to communion. What would it look like for you to spend some time with God? This is my suggestion to you, and I'd love for you to do it today. If you would go on a walk with God today, just go on a walk wherever you live, wherever you walk, and then d just do this simple thing. Start talking to God about your fears and your dreams. Hey, God, I'm afraid of fill in the blank, right? If you got kids, you got a long list of things to be afraid of, right? You live in this world, you read the news, you got a long list of things to be afraid of, right? You, got to just, you just start saying, hey, God, these are the things I'm afraid of. I'm really afraid of this. And I'm just going to tell you, if you'll talk to God the way Moses did like a friend, you're going to be a different person at the other end of that talk. If you just start a pattern of communing with Jesus that way, start with your fears and your dreams. Secondly, 
If you're going to spend time with God, would you honor the fourth commandment? Would you make a priority in your life to spend a Sabbath day, to have a day that's set apart for God? One of the most powerful things we do on every trip we take to the Holy Land is that we conclude our time with a Jewish family that celebrates Shabbat. And I'll tell you, every time, every time, it's so radically convicting. We sit with a family that every week when Friday afternoon rolls around, they get out of the car, they don't drive anywhere. I was a Houstonian, wouldn't that be a treat? They, they don't get in the car. They, they put away their technology, anything that's electric, they don't touch it. And they go a little radical about it. They, don't, they won't touch a light switch. And you just go, like, maybe you have to over, over, go a little bit overboard on it just to be able to keep it. And this is what they do. They just say, we're going to eat with friends and family. We're going to sing songs to celebrate God. They start the evening, and the husband, the, uh, the head of the house, he, he takes a, a, a glass of wine, and he drinks the whole glass of wine, and then, boom, the party starts. They start eating. He sings a song to his wife. Then they bless their kids. And every time we go, we go, you know what? All of us come back and go, I'm going to pray about doing that for about a year, you know? And the reality is like, Ecclesia, you'd be better. We'd be better if you could really take a Sabbath. Could you spend some time with God? Could you make this a Sunday a holy day? That maybe you get in your car to come here, and maybe you take your spouse to dinner. But really, it's an easy day. And you talk to God. Every Sunday, you know you're going to check in with God. And you're going to spend time with friends and family, people you love, time. Second, authenticity. If you want a relationship with God, you can't pull any punches. you got to tell God how you really feel. And you got to be willing to confess your sins. He knows them already anyway, right? God is already fully aware of all your sins. There's no sin you're going to drop on God. He's like, I had no idea that was coming, right? He knows. He knows. He's not going to blush, right? God's not going to get freaked out by your sin. But what happens when you communicate to him? You draw closer together. And you experience the power that we all need that can only come in forgiveness. Great relationships begin with forgiveness, right? If you've been married more than a year, right, you've had to learn forgiveness already. Either that or you were both miserable, right? You've got to learn forgiveness. And you lean into this place where you say, God, I want you to forgive me. Then lastly, you got to enjoy the life that God gave you, right? you got to enjoy yourself, and this is the reality for each of you. i got about 10 things on this, but we don't have time for them. I'm just going to focus on a couple. But hear this. God made you uniquely, every one of us, with unique gifts. You bring a set of gifts to the world that nobody else brings. And this is the thing. You need to hear this really clearly, okay? God didn't give those gifts to you for you. You're not who you are with the talents that you have and the gifts that you have. God didn't make you that way for your own sake. He made you that way so that you could use who you are to be a blessing to other people. And this is the, this is the heart of Christianity that we often miss, is that I, I meet with people all the time, and they're depressed, and they're struggling, and I've just got, I, as clearly as I can tell them, like, your problem is that you're made to serve and when you use who you are, who God made you to be, to love and serve other people, something inside of you comes alive, right? This trip that I do to the Holy Land, it's the most exhausted I ever am in my life. It is just morning to night. It is nonstop for me serving people. And I come back and I'm exhausted, but I'm never happier 
Because I go, I'm made to do that. I'm made to serve people and love on people. And if you can find an environment where you'll do that and you'll do that well, so, and that could be here on this campus, but it's not here on this campus for everybody. It's getting involved in young life. It's, it's getting involved in your neighborhood. It's going and looking out for neighbors. It's listening to the voice of the Spirit to say, who am I uniquely and how do I serve other people? And this is what you're going to find. The more you serve, the happier you are. And it's going to lead you on some beautiful adventures. That's where you and God will have some fun together. If you'll open your ears, open your hearts, and listen. So as we come to communion, will you just give me a moment to pray over you? And I'm going to ask for you and for me that God would do a work in us that would radically change us. I can see on the west side, hear this. There's a world filled with people that are trying to fill the gap of a relationship with God with more religion, with more lists to check. And we could easily fall into the camp that we go, okay, it's a different list. It's not the one I grew up with. It's a different list. You could be, you got to do these social activist things and you got to do that and you check that list. It becomes just a different list. And I'm just telling you, God's not interested in any of those lists. He wants you. He wants your heart. And so, Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for our journey through Lent and our pursuit of our own exodus because, Lord, as much as we hate to admit it, we're so much like the children of Israel. We'd be content to stay in slavery. We just keep making bricks, and we would even turn our relationship with you, our pursuit of Christianity, into another way to make bricks. We just create another list of things we need to do, and God, we're so grateful that you're not interested. And instead, you call us over and over and over again to say, would you just be mine? Would you just know that I love you exactly where you are? I love you fully, and I know you, and I know all of the things you try to hide from the world, and I know them, and I love you still. And our prayer, God, that as we come to communion, as we pursue this journey towards Easter, that together as a church, we could find freedom. And we pray, God, that this relational understanding of Christianity, that we could share it with brothers and sisters all across the city and all across the world, because we believe, Lord, that it's what the world truly needs, that everybody can be up in arms about all the things that are broken in the world, and there is so much that is broken, but God, we pray that you would help us to stay laser-focused on the fact that the greatest need for each of us is a relationship with you, And the greatest need for our brothers and sisters across the world is to know a loving God and to walk with a loving God and to experience the love and grace and forgiveness that can only come in that context. And so today, God, we ask you to bless this bread. As we come and take it into our mouths, we're reminded that you're the God that only wants to eat with us. You're knocking at the door, saying, I just love a seat at your table. You're rescuing us from slavery. You're blessing us. You're creating for us. And you're saying, if we could just have a barbecue together and acknowledge who I am and what I do for you. And so, Lord God, we thank you that this bread and this communal meal, this holy meal is a reminder of who you are. And today, God, we thank you for this cup, for this wine and juice that says to us, each and every one, that you forgive us. And we know that good relationships desperately need forgiveness. We know that we have failed you. And we thank you, Lord, that your love for us is not based on our performance, 
We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.